Good morning, Grace Point. Hallelujah. I'm going to let you be seated. Y'all are so sweet to know our, our order here as we stand uh, for the reading of God's Word. But uh, some of you may remember, thank you for being here today. God bless you. We love you. Appreciate you uh, joining us today. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, you know, we, we believe in the whole Word of God here. We believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And a couple of weeks ago, we, uh, I had had a dream, and which is a lot of times the way the Lord uh, prophetically reveals things to me. And so, uh, and, and I love for you guys to get to to know the you know the rest. As Paul Harvey, you, you're too old to, if you know him, but uh, you remember he said the rest of the story. And uh, so this is the rest of the story uh, when we prayed for people a couple of weeks ago. Could you just play that? That's, that's good, thank you. And we, of course, that's good. When we, when I shared that and then we prayed and of course the Lord illuminated uh, James and Lorraine Mitchell. So James, come up and, uh, or Lorraine, both of you, and just share. Because, and then in my dream that Saturday night before that Sunday, I saw, you know, we were waiting on that judge, as I said, to put that gavel down and this, uh, let them tell you this testimony. Praise the Lord, saints. Praise, the Lord. Praise God. I just thank God for, for, for moving on our, on our pastor. Uh, I mean, this is a mighty man of God up here, y'all. I mean, I mean, he, he never misses. Uh, when the pastor said what he said the other, uh, about two Sundays ago, we were sitting over there, and uh, he says, uh, he says, you're waiting, somebody's waiting for a decision. And my wife said, that's us. God is just awesome, y'all. He just he is just awesome. And I hope you all know that and understand that and receive that. He is awesome. He will do what he said he will do. He will. He'll do what he said he will do. When when the Lord moved on on, on Pastor was that morning, we had prayed about it, but Pastor confirmed it. He confirmed it. And uh I cried. I cried about it, you know, because I said, man. But but Thursday, last Thursday, we got the call. We got the call, people. We had been, as you said, we had been praying. And the pastor did confirm what we had already been praying about. One week later, they called us from defects, if you're familiar with that term. And they said, um, Ms. Mitchell, everything is looking good for you. And we was like, praise God. And so Thursday, they called us and they said, um, we have a staffing case. Well, I didn't know, I wasn't familiar with those terms. So I said, well, let me Google that. 
and it's when the directors and every, everyone, managers get together, and what they do is review the case, and then they make the decision on where our great-grandchildren were gonna go. So they were already in foster homes, and they were separated, and that's what broke our hearts. They were not together. And so Friday, after the meeting on Friday, she said, they're gonna have the meeting tomorrow. I said, okay, we'll wait for your call. Friday, she called us and told us, she said, congratulations, you have Caleb back. And we shouted and we just <laughs> praised God. <laughs> There's more, there's more. So then she said, Mrs. Mitchell, she said, now you ask about Kalani. That's your great grandchild and you did not want them separated. Are you guys willing to take Kalani as well? And so I said, hold on. I said, Lord, you playing with me now. I said, okay. I said, let me check with my husband. So I checked with him and he said, we have to do what we have to do. So God blessed us with both of our great grandchildren and we are so thankful. I want to say to, the, to you uh, saints, our praise and worship team, when they come up here, they set the stage. They set the stage. They sing those anointed songs. And you know what anointed song is? Uh, uh, the word of God. They sing the word of God. You know what? When they get up here and sing those songs, actually, we just go on home because it's done. <laughs> It's done. So I just thank God for that praise team. That praise team, they, they, do, it, they do it, all of them. They're just awesome. They are awesome. Praise God. Amen. And, uh, and y'all continue to pray for us, pray for our pastor. You know what I want to say about this, this man here? And I ain't saying it because he's here. I'm saying it because it's a fact. It's truth. It's truth. This man preaches the word. Preaches the word. And, uh, and you know what? And, and if you come in here and hear this praise team and hear this word and you leave out of here and you, and you ain't blessed, your wood is wet. <laughs> your wood is wet. All right. Amen. So I just thank God for y'all listening to what we had to say and, uh, and uh, just walk in the Lord. Listen to this man, this man of God here. Amen. It, it, we, are in a, we are in an awesome building here. We are in an awesome building. We, I mean, we are few. But we are strong. You hear me? We are strong. Praise God. Thank God. Amen. Amen. Give God praise for that. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> Hallelujah. He is good. We don't get tired of saying that around here. God is a wonderful God. And you know, God does that. I mean, it's just his demonstration of his love for his people, for his sheep, for his kids. And uh, God knows when you're worried, when you're anxious, when you're going through things. And, and uh, you know, I can't make anything happen. But, you know, over the, old, the 35 plus years now of preaching the gospel, you know, so many times, uh, that's just the way the Lord does it. And... Uh, so I'm always anticipating as I go to sleep on Saturday night if, if I'm going to get any instructions for Sunday morning. And uh, I think it's just a, a, a neat uh, way of God just demonstrating his love. And, and God's too big just to bless one person. And, and, uh, when he's, and it's, just to, you know, it's just to increase. If you can just have, if I can just get you to have faith in him, you know, not faith in faith, not faith in, in uh, religion, but faith in him. That, that's the that's the key. Hey, Robin, I didn't know you was here, darling, until I got up here. Hey, and uh, this is one of our members that's translocated over to what county is that? Okay, we can still claim you, Lee County. All right, but uh, Amen. Good to see you this morning. Uh, I want to. Uh, we just titled this one on one with Jesus, and um, you know Jesus. Uh, you know, we say around here, as, as Ken said when he came up to do the announcements, and, and grace is not a is not a uh, something we do. For, you know, occasionally grace is the message. We are saved by grace. The Bible says through faith, 
And that faith is in a person, and his name's Jesus, and grace is a person, and his name is Jesus. And Jesus, when he dealt with people one-on-one, uh, he dealt with them specific to their needs. In other words, he met them at the point of their need. And I just want to talk to you, I don't have time to read the scriptures, uh, but, you know, and hopefully most of you know uh, these, uh, these occurrences. In John 3, uh, he's talking to a man named Nicodemus, and then he... That's basically all of the third chapter of John. And, of course, we're so glad for Nicodemus coming to Jesus and asking him questions because that's where we get John 3.16 from. Uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his... That was Jesus talking to and answering the questions that Nicodemus posed. And then over in John 4, we transition into the woman at the well. And that is a totally different scene. And, and he says different things to her. You know, Jesus only ever said to one person, you must be born again. And we've kind of made that, not, not wrongly, but we've made that, you know, the catch-all. That's you need to tell everybody. And it is true, um, you know, we must all be born again, born from above. That's what salvation is. It's putting our faith in him and receiving life. When we were previously, the Bible calls it dead in trespasses and sins. And so Jesus said, I've come that they might have what? Life and they have it more abundantly. And, and so Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus and answering his questions because as a teacher, Jesus called him of Israel. And then when he gets to this woman at the well, he doesn't tell her she's got to be born again. He just simply says to her, you know, that if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask me and I'd give you living water. And he said, if you would drink of that water, you would never thirst again. And of course, she didn't understand uh, anything that he was talking about initially. And so these two people, uh, Nicodemus and the woman at the well, are to me like bookends. And somewhere in between these two bookends lies every human on the planet. And, uh, and you know, and these two people, Nicodemus and the woman at the well, and the reason I keep calling her the woman because the Bible doesn't give us her name. Um, it just says the woman at the well. And uh, there are polar opposites when you look at them. Uh, Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He is a member of the most elite group in all of Israel. He is uh, a prestigious uh, 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 male person, if you will, in a leadership position. And, uh, and we are given in the Bible his name. Uh, you look at the woman at the well, we're not given her name. She is, Nicodemus is from what's perceived to be the best group of people at that time living, uh, particularly in Israel. And the woman at the well is the worst group. She's a Samaritan woman. Uh, the Jews hated the Samaritans because the, uh, it was an ethnic uh, thing and they thought them not worthy of any of the promises or covenants uh, from God. Uh, it's interesting that Nicodemus, the Bible said, he came to Jesus at night. Uh, the woman at the well went to the well at noon. Uh, you, you just see these these parallels. Uh, Nicodemus worships as a Pharisee at the temple in Jerusalem. And the woman uh, at the well, her worship is at Mount Gizrim in Palestine. And actually, they don't even have a temple anymore because 127 years before this story, before Jesus talks with her, uh, a Jew named John Hyrcanus had destroyed it, had literally destroyed uh, their temple that the Palestinians which is what her descent is, uh, worship God from that place. And so they don't even have a temple. They just worship from that mountain. And, uh, and yet they're so different and they're polar opposites, yet in many ways they're very much alike. They both are in need of salvation. They both need Jesus. And they, and they both recognize and believe, at least to some extent, that Jesus is from God. Uh, Nicodemus said that he believed he was from God because of the miracles that he had observed Jesus doing. He said, no one can do these miracles except they be from God. And then the woman at the well, she initially doesn't know he's, who he is, uh, but as the conversation unfolds, it is through that prophetic revelation that her heart is opened up and she believes that he is, in fact, from God. And so one thing that they both have in common is that they are both steeped uh, and immersed in their religion. Uh, religion, listen to me, is man's attempt to, to, 
to get to God. Uh, religion always has an earth-towards-heaven view. And, 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 and Jesus uh, was God's attempt to get to man. Uh, our relationship with God was initiated by God, for God so loved. He didn't just love, he so loved uh, the world that he, that he gave his only begotten son. That just whoever would believe in him uh, should not perish, but have life everlasting. And, uh, you know, religion means different things to different people. I grew up, you know, with, you know, our church, and I don't mean this derogatory, I'm just telling my story, but like we grew up, I grew up in, in church with people singing, give me that old term religion. I've had it, you can keep it, I don't want it. I don't want old, old time, new time, any time, any kind of religion. To, to say that there's good forms of religion is like saying there's good forms of slavery. Hello, good morning, thank you, welcome. The word religion, if you do a word study on the word itself, the word religion uh, literally means in the root word uh, where the English word religion comes from, it means to be bound or to bondage. And that's a great description of what religion does. And because both of these were so steeped in religion, uh, I, I want to just give you six little quick points about what, what religion really does and what religion is. Religion is based on a lie. Uh, it's based on the what I would call the original lie. In other words, religion, at the heart of religion, is a belief that somehow we can make ourselves acceptable to God by things that we do or things we don't do. Uh, it, it's that same old deal that was in the garden. It's the serpent talking to Adam and Eve saying, if you do this, you can be like God. And the fact was that they were already like God. They were created in the image and likeness of God. The Word of God says that. But Satan comes along through the serpent and he speaks to them and says, in order for you to be like God, you got to do A, B, and C. And if you do A, B, and C, then and only then can you be like God. That's what religion does. Religion is a temple built by human hands. And, and it's, it's a total lie. Uh, Any time that we... Uh, you know, go to, to things that we do to try to establish our relationship with God, then we're, we're, we've, we've long gone from grace. Uh, the second one is religion prostitutes the love of God. In, in other words, religion keeps that same lie going and it attacks the character of God. This is one of the things that, that gets me so upset is the things that God, even in the church, are you know, that God is accused of doing. And, and, you know, we, people are told that, well, God's forgiven you, but he's still mad at you. Or God's turned his back on you. Or, you know, or uh, he's, you know, God keeps a record of your sin. And since the Holy Spirit is God, the Holy Spirit is convicting a believer of their sin. How, how can the Holy Spirit, who is God, convict you of a sin that God don't remember? Explain that one to me. Over and over in the New Testament, God said he would, and when the new covenant comes, I will remember their sins no more. You think God's a liar? And then he turns around and says, but I'm going, I told you I won't remember them, but I'm going to remember them. And say, so, well, you say, well, he said he convicts you. And see, and there's some of you that's read the Bible just enough to be dangerous, and you, I don't mean that ugly, but you think that that's in there that the Holy Spirit convicts. But the Bible says when Jesus was talking, about the Holy Spirit, he told them that the Holy Spirit would convict the world of sin, for they know not God. But I'm talking about, I believe the Holy Spirit's not convicting you of sin. That's your own conscience. And that's in the New Testament, and that's a whole other sermon. But as a believer, your conscience convicts you and convinces you that that's wrong. I mean, before I ever read the Bible, I knew what I did not want people to do to me. I didn't need the Bible to tell me, I don't want you to stab me kill me, hurt me, you know, cut my fingers off. I don't want, I didn't need scripture for that. Okay. I knew what I didn't want people to do. And so, so that, that, you know, but religion tells all these lies about God, where God took your baby or God, you know, took your husband, God took your wife, God took your job, God gave you cancer. He's trying to teach you something. Or the reason you got run over is because God wanted you to lay in the hospital and read and reach over into the drawer at the hospital and get the Gideon Bible and get right with me. 
or that God floods people with floods like in Houston and he gets a few people's attention and God sends Katrina to New Orleans to make them, you know, cut out the strip clubs and pay them back, you know. And, and all those things are total religious lies. Uh, if you want to know anything about God, you got to get it from Jesus, really. In other words, I'm not saying that there's revelation of God in the Old Covenant that's not true or accurate. It's just incomplete. What if the only scripture you knew in the New Testament was when Jesus made a whip and drove out the money changers from the temple? And that's the only thing you ever have heard about Jesus. What view would you have of Jesus? Probably wouldn't be very good. Now, is that view of Jesus wrong? No, it's just incomplete. You know, when they saw Jesus, they said, Jesus, show us the Father. Jesus said, you're looking at him. When you have seen me, you have seen the Father. My point is this. Anything that you think you know about God, who he is, his character, his nature, that you can't prove in the life of Jesus, you need to call it into question. You're not going to drag me to the book of Job and try to figure out who God is by reading Job. It's, it's not inaccurate. It's just incomplete. Job said that he talked about things in the book of Job that he didn't even understand. He said, he said, I heard about you by the hearing of the ear, but now I see you face to face, and I abhor, that means hate myself. For he said, I spoke things I did not understand. Job run his mouth big time for several chapters, and then Job, God finally in Job, you know, said, let me talk a while. I love it. And then God said, first thing he said to Job was, can you make a peacock? You ever seen a peacock? Can you make one of them? Well, you shut up and listen to me. Let me talk a little bit because I made that peacock. And so God starts telling him about creation and all that he's done. You know, and when, when God got through talking to him, that's why Job said, I, I, I had it wrong. I'm not a disciple of Job. I'm a disciple of Jesus. Job is the question. Jesus is the answer. Hello, somebody. And so Jesus, the Bible says in Corinthians, was the exact representation of the invisible God. So you tell me, looking at Jesus, how many people did come to him sick? Did he leave sick? None. How many storms did Jesus send to hurt people? And none. How many people did Jesus give diseases to? and strike with leprosy and strike with... No, he healed them of leprosy. None. How many storms did Jesus rebuke? Several. Because a storm, just because a storm comes, don't mean God's in control. The Bible says that we know that Satan is in control of this world system. If God was behind any hurricane coming your way and Jesus rebuked it, he would be rebuking his father. And a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. Jesus rebuked those storms because they were satanic in origin. And the Bible says, you know, and I've preached a message many years ago and it's still very simple theology. My theology of God is Jesus. God good, devil bad. If it's, it, the Bible said, Jesus said, I have come. He said, don't, don't, don't get confused, John 10, 10. The thief, he calls the enemy the thief, comes to steal, kill, destroy. So if it's got to do with stealing, killing, or destroying, not from God. But I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Now, you can get confused. You can blame God. And you can get mad. And you can throw your Bible in the trash can. And you can do all that stuff you want to but you're listening to lies of religion. God didn't take your baby. A lot of people die prematurely and that's not God's will. You understand that God said, I want you to pray when you're on earth that my will would be done on earth like it is in heaven because my will is not being done on earth like I want it to. Jesus said, it's not my will that anybody should perish, but all should come to repentance, but yet people perish. It's not God's will. God don't get his way just because he's God because God give us the, that great privilege called free will. 
You can choose to do what you want to do. I saw on the news this morning, I was reading the news, and I saw where a crazy person went in a grocery store and killed a bunch of people. God ain't got nothing to do with that. If God's in control, then don't prosecute the guy. God was behind it. You got to be super stupid to believe that. But religion makes people stupid. And they come up with stupid. I've heard people tell me in these past two years, well, God, you know, God sent COVID, you know, to purify the church. So what you're saying is Jesus didn't do jack when he come. And he didn't accomplish and he lied when he said it is finished. And so now God's had to send COVID to purify the world and the church. I mean, the devil don't even, the devil laughs at He can't even believe you that dumb to believe that. That's the dumbest mess I've ever heard. Yet I heard it several times. I saw preachers blogging about it. God's behind it. See, these lies, they, they feed the, the fiction that God can be bought. That if you do ABC, then you can appease an angry God. And if you're faithful and good, then God will bless you. It's just all lies of religion. The third thing religion does, it actually, Paul called it, it causes you to fall from grace. Another way we could say it is religion alienates you from the grace of God. <clears throat> now, religion offers you a pathway to God, but it leads you straight away from him. Uh, a lot of people think that falling from grace means like, the, you know, somebody run off with the secretary committed adultery or somebody stole, they have fallen. You know, a Christian has done something, they've fallen from grace. Paul in Galatians chapter 5 verse 4 says how you fall from grace. And he said this is how you fall from grace. When you attempt to obey the law to please God, you fall from grace. Grace is a high place that you can fall from. And, and, and so, uh, you know, grace, uh, uh, you know, it, the grace of God says it's not by what you do, but, but religion says just keep these rules, you know, do, do what you're told, and somehow, you know, maybe, you know, you'll be acceptable to God, and it's all lies. The fourth thing religion does is it actually, uh, it rewrites, so to speak, the Bible. Religion rewrites the Bible. In other words, since religion is a, is a lie, since religion is false, and God's word is true, then if you're going to read out of God's word, then what you have to do to be able to sell your religion is you have to redefine what words in the Bible mean. And we need a new dictionary besides Webster's. We need Dale's dictionary on what Bible words mean. Because we don't know. And I didn't know. I grew up in church and, and all these words I were, was taught is not what they mean. And I'm not changing the meaning. It's what they mean in the Bible. It's what they mean in the original language. You know, the Bible was not written in English. The Old Covenant was written primarily in Hebrew. And the New Covenant in uh, Greek and Aramaic. Translated into English. And it doesn't make it dangerous, none, but, but Jesus didn't walk around with a King James Bible. You got whole churches that this whole ministry is built on King, you got to have a King James Bible like Jesus carried it or something. It's called King James. You need to check out who that is, Google who he was. And he was the one that ordered the translation of that. And we're thankful for that. But, you know, in the King James, we don't talk King James, thou thine folk, do we? And so in the King James, for example, that's why I preach out of primarily the new King James. The, the old King James, that old English, it's, it'll say in the King James, God is a terrible God. And, and if you say that in American culture, God's a terrible God, well, that ain't good. But in King James language, that means he's awesome. I'm telling you the truth. Thank you for that chuckle. I appreciate it. <laughs> and, and, and so in New King James, they clean that up and say, God is awesome. Because God is awesome. But he's not terrible in the way that you and I use the, the word terrible. So, so you got to understand that, that they rewrite words. So in other words, we redefine. And I talk to you a lot about that. But the word repentance, what does it mean, Grace Point? Thank 
think differently. Change the way you think. It's a Greek word translated into the English word repent, and it means, it is the Greek word metanoia, and it means to think differently. So anytime you hear John the Baptist saying it, Jesus saying it, when the Bible says repent and believe God, the average person, what do they think that means? They think that means get on your face, grovel, cry, confess your sins, and tell God what a sorry person you are, and he might help you. That's what they think repent means. And, and most, most of these religious Christians, that law-toting Christians that use it, that's what they mean. Repent. Turn to burn. These guys standing on the street corners in these cities with a Bible in one hand yelling at people and hollering at everybody. And ho they don't even know what the word means. The word repent means to simply you're going to have to think differently because you've been thinking wrong about what? First off, about God. God's not who you think he is. And he is absolutely not who religion told you he was. Then when you understand who God is and how good God is and how much he loves you and what grace has done for you, then you will change your mind about God. And when you change your mind about God, then the next thing you'll do is you'll change your mind about yourself. And when you change your mind about yourself and you see yourself as valued by God, even before you knew God, then it would change your mind about other people too. And that's what God wants. Amen? I've told, I've told you before, and I won't go through the whole thing. I'll do it real quickly, but I've told you before, I used to do this years ago. It, it's a very expensive sermon. I would pull out, and I don't have it this morning on me, so I'd pull out a $100 bill, and I would just, you know, and it's cool when the first time you've done it and they've never seen it. i pull out a $100 bill, and, and I've done this many times. You've seen me do it. And I pull out a $100 bill, and I say, who wants this? Man, the hands will fly up fast. You know, fat, like Ken said, how many little Jesus' hands go up? You know, but you say, who wants a $100 bill? They'll really go up. <laughs> and, and, and I tell them, I'm not playing with it. I'm going to give it to somebody. And I do. I say, who wants this $100 bill? And I, I want it. And I say, how much is it worth? $100. Who says it's worth $100? U.S. Treasury says it's worth $100. And then I'll wad it up into a real tight wand, just wrinkle it all up, and I'll throw it on the floor, and then I'll stomp on it with my shoe like that and grind it into the carpet, and then I'll reach down and pull it up. And, and it looks kind of rough for the wear of what I just did to it. And I'll say, who wants it now? And I'll say, you still want it, even though what's been done to it? How much is it still worth? $100. And then I'll spit on it. <laughs> Who wants it now? And then you won't see You won't see as many hands go up. But you'll still see some. And I'll go, you still want it even after I spit on it? How much is it worth now that I spit on it? $100. Who says it's worth $100? U.S. Treasury says it don't matter what's done to it. And then I've done this only one time because it freaks people out. One guy told me it was against the law, <clears throat> so I quit doing it because I ain't got time for all that after service. <laughs> so I took a pair of scissors and I cut it right in half. Took it, I cut a hundred dollar bill right in half. Well, that'll make people freak out. They don't mind you cutting one dollar, but you mess around with a hundred. <laughs> and I cut it right in half, and I held up the pieces and I said. Who wants it now? Hardly any hands went up because they didn't. I said, how much is it worth? They didn't know. I said, you know, I go home with some scotch tape, and I take that bad boy up in the bank and take it just like that. And it's still worth, regardless of what you think, worth $100. And then I tell them this. How do you establish the value of anything in this world? By two things. Number one, the rarity of that item. The more rare, the more valuable. Right or wrong? And then secondly, you establish value by what a person is willing to pay for that item. Those are the two factors that, that, that set what things cost. So I said, Let's, what I'm talking about is not a $100 bill. I'm talking about you. Whether you know Christ, don't know Christ, 
it, it don't matter what you've done, what you haven't done, what's been done to you, whether you've been cut, spit on, stomped on, it don't matter. You're still worth what God paid for you. Number one, let's establish your rarity. There's never been another human like you on planet Earth. There's seven billion of us on the planet now that share it. And then there's been six billion that have lived from Adam up till now who have died. That's 13. We're getting to close to 14 billion people that have lived on planet Earth. And not two of them have ever been identical. So now we've established that you are very rare. Secondly, your value, what is a person willing to pay for you? God was willing to pay his life for you with no guarantee that you would accept that sacrifice. God offered himself on the cross and, and, and that, that, that his love expressed and forgiveness towards you would generate a response from your heart of faith in him and his goodness. And, and, and so it doesn't matter what's happened to you or what's been done to you that your value has held constant and consistent with God. God loves you, and he loved you while you were yet a sinner. And that's not me saying it. That's God saying it, and that's what his word says. While we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. He, he didn't just say, I love you. The Bible said he demonstrated that I love you. That's an amazing God. And if people knew who that God was, then it, it would change everything. But religion hides that part and, and rewrites the term. So we think repentance means penance. That's not what it means. We think, you know, uh, that obedience in the Bible, when we see the word obedience, it means rule keeping. That's not what it, don't mean. it means. Um, it, you know, it, it's, just, just, it's just lies. Number five, religion makes you angry. The most hell I've ever caught I've had people hate my guts because I'm a preacher of the grace. I'm going to take time sometime. We had a leadership meeting yesterday, but I'm going to preach on or teach on whatever you want to call it, the high cost of free grace. Because, buddy, when you really embrace the pure, undiluted, non-religious grace of God, it'll cost you. Not from God. God don't charge you for it. That's what grace is. It's free. But people will charge you. I don't get near the invitations to preach now like I used to all my life <clears throat> because preachers know I'm a grace preacher now and they're afraid I'll come in there and I'll preach something that they I'm going to take that stick I'm going to come with carrots but they, won't, they, they preach carrots and sticks if you do good you get the carrot you do bad you get the stick there ain't no stick. There's no bad news in good news. The gospel means good news. So I can't preach bad news because that's not good news and that's not the gospel. The, the, the good news is good news. Grace is amazing when it's preached properly. And when you preach the same grace that the apostle Paul, Paul preached in the New Testament, you will be accused of the same things that the apostle Paul was accused of. They told Paul, well, if it's like you said, preacher Paul, then why don't we sin the more so that grace may abound? And he said, you big dummies. No, he said, <laughs> he said, God forbid. He said, that's ridiculous. That's not, Paul was saying, that's not what I'm saying. God forbid. He's like, I, you know, I, that's not what I'm saying. But you'll get accused of that, and you will have to defend your position on grace like Paul did. The reason preachers are not having to defend what they preach is because they're not preaching the same gospel that Paul preached or that the New Testament teaches. And so the most angry people I've ever dealt with in my life is religious people. But you talk about some mean people. And, and, and I, don't, I don't blame them for being mean if you really see what they're struggling under they're they're they they they're they're hounded by the by the law and uh, they carry an unbearable load of religion on their shoulders and 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 see they're like the prodigal son the older brother they, they it makes them so mad they hear the party and yet their religious law keeping self they won't even go in and enjoy the party they're gonna stay out on the porch and be mad that's in the bible so we got the prodigal son. He tells daddy, I wish you was dead and you, you living too long. <clears throat> and I, I really, I wish you could go ahead and die where I could get my inheritance. But how about just giving it to me anyway? So the father gives him his inheritance. 
he, he leaves daddy's house, goes to a far land, spends it on wine, women, and song. Am I true or not? Riotous living, the Bible calls it. And then when he spent all of his money, all his friends are gone. Anybody ever lived that besides me? You buying everybody drinks, they all hanging around. Once your money's gone, they gone. So he spent all his money. He don't have no more friends. You ain't got no money. You still got to eat. He makes himself a servant to a Gentile. He's a Jewish boy. He's in there feeding hogs. He's living with the hogs, sharing husk, it says in the Bible, with the hogs. That's not a good existence. God didn't do any of that to him, by the way, regardless of what the folks say. God didn't. See, you, you and I build our own hog pen. Now, most, some people don't need a hog pen to come back to God, but some, some of us do. I had to build me one. I built me a nice hog pen. You should have seen it. I was 19 years old, buddy. I built me one. It stunk to high heaven. You know what I'm saying? And it, was, uh, it wasn't pleasant, and that's how I was living. But God didn't do it to me. He pursued me, loved me, drove me to him with cordial love, didn't dangle me over hell on a rotten stick and says turn or burn or none of that stuff that religion does. He just loved me. I actually thought I was lost at 19, and I told you I actually got born again. I got saved at 12, didn't understand anything. I didn't understand my theology. I just knew I, my life changed when I met him. 14, I walked away from God. My religion told me that I was lost again as if nothing had ever happened, but I really was not. I was just a prodigal. And I was away from Papa. That's why as a teenager, I would ride by my church that I got saved in, which I no longer attended and nobody in my house attended. And I would ride by late at night coming from, from you know, out partying half the night and come and ride, just simply ride by the church. And the church had a big illuminated cross on the front of it that, you know, you just really stood out. And there would be many times I would ride by that church. It was on my way home. And I would literally ride by the church, I would look at the church, I'd see the cross and begin to cry. And I had no bearing to why I was doing that. And I was a teenager. It was, you know why I was doing that? Because I was still saved. I was still a son. Prodigal, yes, but still a son. A prodigal son is still a son. It's still a son. And, um, and so I would cry because I was really, my heart was aching for my papa. Not that he had forsaken me, but I had forsaken him. He had promised he would never forsake me. And he, he's always true on that. And, uh, and, and that's, that's who he is. Um, you build your own hog pen. And I hope it doesn't take that for you. Uh, but sometimes it does. But don't, don't put in your testimony when you get saved or whatever. That, that God was behind the hog pen. Don't put in that you got saved at the hospital after you got run over. God didn't run over you, and he didn't send the car that run over you. God, God doesn't do that. God's already sent the best he can do to get you saved, and that's Jesus. And there ain't nothing else he can send better than that, okay? Number six, religion uh, puts everything in the future. It's got nothing for you here and now. When I grew up, it was like, man, you should have lived in Jesus' days. It would have been awesome. And uh, got not a whole lot for you right now. Just get saved. Hang on, Snoopy. Hang on, you know, and let's, you know, pray for the rapture. And because we can't help you out much here. Not really anything going on right now. But it's over yonder in the glory land. Now, it's going to be awesome over yonder. Won't it be wonderful there having no burdens to bear? You know, one day when we get over there with Mom and them, it's going to be great. Right now, it's going to be hell on earth, you know. It's hard. Religion says it's hard to live for God. I grew up with people giving testimony. Oh, pastor, it's so hard to live for God today in this ungodly world. See, anytime you tell truth, the train blows whistle. <laughs> Am I right, Johanna? That's like God saying, blood that whistle. He just says something I like. Religion says it's hard. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus said it's only hard when you try to do the religion thing. It's, you know, I'm a heavy burden, Pastor. Well, why, that's your problem then. 
Cast all your burdens on him, for he cares for you. The reason you have your burden is because you won't give them to God. I don't mean that. To, I'm just saying give it to God, man. you got to leave it. And, and, and so religion puts everything in the future. You know, one day, man, it's going to be awesome. One day. No, man, it's not one day. That's why Jesus was crucified between two thieves. There's a thief of the past and the thief of the future. One thief can't get over what he's done in the past, so he can't even accept God. The other thief says, one day, you know, it's going to be great. Remember me when. Jesus said, listen to me. It's about not future or past. It's today you'll be with me in paradise. Today. It's a present God. It's a, it's a I am God. God never says I will be. When they asked God who he was, he didn't say I will be or I was. He said, I am the I am. I am a present help in time of trouble. I am grace personified. I, I am. That, that's, that's who God is. So in Christ, you know, religion always says, well, you know, right now, now, you, you know, one day you're going to be the person that you've always wanted to be. One day you're going to be righteous. One day you're going to be holy. One day you're going to be great, man. You're going to be awesome. When you get to heaven, get the wings, get the bed sheet on, you know, you're going to be awesome. I tickle myself sometimes. <laughs> Man, if I thought heaven, well, we're going to float around, wear bed sheets, you know, and uh, have wings and get a harp and float on clouds and eat marshmallows. I mean, I've seen nursing homes better than that, dude. I mean, you know what I'm saying? That's <laughs> I ain't going for that. <laughs> one, one day, one day you're going to be great. One day you're going to be awesome. One day you're going to be... Listen, the book of Colossians says right now you are complete in him. You have received the fullness of God. You are as righteous as you'll ever be if you're born again. You are forgiven as you'll ever be if you've been born again. You are eternally secure because you have eternal life in you. And that's what happened when you got saved. Jesus did not come to heaven. Jesus, God did not leave heaven, come to earth, become a man to start a religion called Christianity. Now, that didn't shock a few people there. That'll get me some emails. Send them, baby. I got a big delete box. And I don't mean this like I'm going to go after that term. I got bigger fish to fry. But there's nowhere in the New Testament that tells any of us to call each other Christians. That's a shocker, isn't it? Jesus never told anybody to be a Christian. The Bible never tells anybody to call each other Christian. And the word only appears three times in the Bible, and all three times the context of the word is not anything's got to do with us being. The Bible, well, I thought the Bible says they were first called Christians at Antioch. It does say that. But you can be called a lot of things. It don't matter where they call you that at. I've been called a few things too. I don't mean I want to wear that label. I was first called a heretic at Baldosta. <laughs> It was a derogatory term. Christians in the Bible days meant little Christ to be like Jesus. I used the term and I will continue to use the term. I'm simply saying Jesus did not come to earth to start a new religion called Christianity. If you go into a Muslim nation like I've been to Turkey, I've been to Bulgaria, you go in those nations where there's a lot of Islamic people and you don't walk up to them and say, would you like to be a Christian? Because they'll cut your head off. You can walk up to them and say, would you like to know about God? And they'll say yes. But if you say, would you want to be a Christian? Christians and Muslims have been killing each other since the Middle Ages. Before then. No, they won't be no Christian. Because Christianity there means something wholly different than it does in America. Mm -mm, they won't be no Christian. But they want to know about Yahweh. They want to know about the Father. They want to know about God. And then when you're going to talk about God, you talk about his son, Yeshua, Jesus. And they'll listen. And I preach to them. In Turkey, they have gypsies. Not the kind of song team. I, I, I preach to real gypsies. Isn't that a something? They're really despised in their culture. When I was in Bulgaria, they're hated. And I was in Bulgaria preaching, and we had Bulgarians, of course. And, and we had... We had uh, Gypsies sitting in the congregation. It's kind of like the Pharisees and the Samaritan woman. Different. And, and they're, they're hated. But God, uh, he loves them. 
he, and he, reach, he reaches his love out to them. And we saw amazing things. Is God would demonstrate how much. He, God doesn't care if you're Samaritan or you're Jewish. or is, he's, he's after everybody now. Right? These two people, i, I got to end this. These two people didn't understand spiritual things. Jesus tells Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. He's like, how can I? He starts immediately to rationalize with his mind. How can I do that? How can a man be born again? Did he enter the second time in the Muslim? How can that happen? Jesus said, you don't understand this, and you're a teacher of Israel. <laughs> you're like a rabbi, man. You're a teacher, and you still don't get this. And, and he's, he just said, I just don't understand the spiritual part of this. And that's where Jesus begins to speak to him and tells him John 3.16. And I love John 3.17. For, for God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him would be saved. And, and, and I love that. God didn't sin. He didn't come to condemn anything. He came to save people. And so he talks to, to, to him and, and Nicodemus. We don't really see a response from him. He doesn't, you know, fall down. I accept you, Jesus. We don't, we don't see that. And we kind of, we, we would wonder if it wasn't in the Bible. Now, we don't see Nicodemus again over into John 7 and in verse 50 when, when they're, they're talking about killing Jesus, really, and, and talking about what they're going to do. And, and Nicodemus is bold enough as a Pharisee to speak up. And he says, now, does our law condemn a man before hearing from that man? And they said, what are you, from Galilee? <laughs> they said, are you from Galilee? You taking up for him? And the Bible said, then the next verse, they all went home. We don't see from him again until Jesus is crucified. And when he goes to be buried, Joseph of Arimathea provides the free tomb. And by his side is Nicodemus. And Nicodemus has come out of the hiding of the religious system now. And he's identified himself as a believer in Christ. And he helps embalm the body of Jesus with, Jose, with, 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 with uh, uh, Joseph of Arimathea. And he, he could have been killed for that. And uh, he, he comes out of hiding. Now when Jesus was sitting on the well, noon, here comes this woman. And, and i got to do this quick. But all people, I grew up hearing that this woman was a harlot a very sexually promiscuous woman. And uh, there, there, there's no doubt uh, that there's a reason she's probably coming to the well at noon when most women, according, they say, to the culture would have come at sunrise to get the water for the day. She comes at noon, so she don't want to be around a bunch of people. You ever feel like that? You ever just, can I just say that? Do you ever sometimes just get, I don't want to be around anybody, I'm kind of sick of people? I mean, if I get around people, I'm liable to hurt someone kind of deal. Today's not a good day. I need to go pray, hang out with God, get saved again. Then I'll go to the grocery store or whatever. It's, it's just normal human feelings. So she goes at 12 noon. Uh, Jesus is sitting on the well. He is a Jewish man. She is a Samaritan woman. Even Jewish men did not talk to their Jewish wives in public. They didn't. That's why in that culture that woman's not named. The woman at the well. The woman, it just, it's just the way it was. Jesus is sitting there. Uh, she, she comes up to get water, and, and Jesus says, uh, woman, give me a drink. Well, she, she, she don't really like that, it seems, in the Scripture, because she says, she said, what are you doing talking to me? She said, you, you, don't, talk, you, know, you don't talk to us. You don't talk to us to us. Jesus like woman. <laughs> now the Bible said this is the humanity of Christ. The Bible says that Jesus was weary. He was tired. The disciples are gone, you know, in town to get food and bring it back. Jesus didn't even go to town with them. He says, woman, if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask me and I would give you water to drink that if you drank of that water, living water, you would never thirst again. And it would be in you a spring of living water. She said, give me that water that I won't have to come to this place and drink and draw water from this place. Jesus says something totally off the chart. Don't, don't even see where it's coming from. Go call your husband. Like, boom, she got hit with that, like, boom. And she said, I have no husband. He said, you've rightly said, for you've had five. And the man you're living with now is not yours. She said, I perceive you're a prophet. <laughs> oh, really? You got that, huh? <laughs> Picked up on that, did you? 
what, what did that gift do? Jesus is not diming out her sin. Jesus is allowing the gifts of the Holy Spirit to reveal what that woman would know that nobody, this man had no way of knowing. And that's why God does things like he does in here through the gifts of the Spirit. It's to cause your faith to increase. When I, the things we've seen here in the past two months, when I've been able to call people out and say to them, you're a drug addict. And it was the guy's first day here. And he said, yes, and I've been one for, and he turned around and took the mic and told you that, how many was here that Sunday. And the only reason God did that is to build faith in him, in Jesus. When I was able to see a woman walk right up here, and I looked at her and I said, your depression leaves you now. And she wrote me that afternoon that I have been in, in a state of depression for 15 years. It's almost taken my life. I am free. I'm the happiest I've ever been in my life. Is that true? The reason those gifts are given, they're gifts. You don't earn them. You can't unearn them. <clears throat> they're gifts. But the whole target of the gifts is not to be impressed with the person that God's using the gifts through. It's to get those people to have faith and even those observing to have faith in him. That's all it's for. So when he uses the gifts here, the gifts use him and reveals what he had no way of knowing. And I don't want to get into this. I don't have the time. But some of you think Jesus knew everything when he walked the earth. He did not. The only way Jesus knew anything about that woman is the Holy Spirit revealed it to him. There's no verse in the Bible. You, uh, Jesus knew everything. That's a lie of her religion. If Jesus knows everything, he can't be your example because you don't know everything, even though you think you do. You don't. You don't know everything. And the Bible says of Jesus, the Bible said when Jesus was 12 and, and his mama found him in the temple, she said, the Bible said he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God. How do you grow in wisdom if you know everything? The Bible said that Jesus himself, they said, tell us when the end of the world is. Jesus said, no one knows, not even the son, not even I, only the father. He said right there, I, I don't know everything. The point is, you need to embrace the humanity of Jesus because you're in the humanity now, you and I. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can do what Jesus did. You can lay hands on the sick and see them recover. You can do those things that Jesus did. And, and, and so, so now this woman, she knows he's a prophet. And it, it opens her heart up to God. And, and, and Jesus didn't call her a promiscuous woman and stuff. And, and my point is this, and I've said it often. A non-Jewish view of the Bible is confusing to Gentile American Christians. We miss and mishandle things. That's why the woman's preached as a harlot, and it never says that. I'm just simply saying it never says I don't know what her moral standing was, and it didn't matter to God. He was just loving on her, and he didn't call that out in front of anybody. It's just him and her alone, right? And, and, and so in the Bible days, women could not divorce a man. If that man took his fist and beat her into the ground, that woman had no legal recourse to divorce that husband. None. It was not in the culture. All a man had to do was march her to the door, stand there and say, I divorced thee, I divorced thee, I divorced thee, and she was gone. That was it. Women had no rights of any kind, of any kind. Different world. We don't understand. Different world. So the point is she's had five husbands. Is that what the Bible says? Okay, so for her to have five husbands, that means five men chose her and five men divorced her. Now, number one truth is, ain't nobody going to marry that same woman five times unless she's fine. <laughs> she got to look good because they wanted her. It wasn't like the first dude divorced her. Nobody wanted her. They were four more waiting in line wanted her. So she was nice. She looked good. They wanted her. Only reason a, divorce, a man would divorce his wife in that situation is because she could not bear children if she was barren which was in that culture perceived as a curse from God she could not bear children then they would divorce her because it was so important in the Gentile world uh, or in all the world to to keep your lineage going and so no doubt they would marry her they wanted her she was desirable but she could not have children and it would it, to, her, to her despair and her sad they would divorce her and they would have to get a woman that could have a kid and she was rejected by something she didn't have any control over. 
It's one thing for people to reject you when you act like a fool, but to be rejected over something you ain't got no control over, like your skin color or whatever, you're being rejected by cause of that, and you ain't got no control over that. That's a hard thing, man. That hurts. People hate me because of all kinds of reasons. Because I'm white. I'm third Cherokee. You going to hate that? I, you know, you hate me because I preach the gospel of grace. You, you hate me. I mean, there's list of all kinds of reasons. You have to decide whether you're going to try to get people to love you or just walk in the love of God that he loves you. And, and, and so she's been divorced. My point is this. The reason this woman got divorced is not because she chose to be or she was promiscuous or not. If you, if you was caught in adultery in the New Testament times, what happened to them? Carried out and stoned to death. That's why when Mary got pregnant and Joseph hadn't even had relations with her, he was going to divorce her privately, the Bible says. Why? Because if he'd have divorced her publicly, Mary would have been stoned to death. Not many repeat adulterers in the New Testament times. They stoned them. So this woman was obviously not an adulterous woman because if she was, she'd have been dead. So she just couldn't have kids. Here Jesus comes along, and he didn't say that the man you're living with, you're having sex with. I don't know if she was or not. All I'm saying is the Bible doesn't say anything about that. Jesus just said the man you're with now is not your own. He didn't say you're having sex with a guy. I mean, you can actually move in and live with a guy to get three squares and a roof over your head and not have sex with him. Right? So he just says you, the person you're living with is not your husband. And Jesus just loves her. And he just loves her. And he said, woman, if you just knew. And so Jesus, you know, and then she wants to start an argument about religion. Well, what do you, you Jews say, we've got to go to the temple in Jerusalem, but we worship. Jesus said, listen, it ain't about where you go to church at as far as your temples. He said, the day comes and, and now is. It, it's not whether it's in this mountain or that mountain, but you, God seeks those that are worship him in spirit and in truth. It's about true worshipers. And he said, you don't even know what you're worshiping. But he said the true worship is because God give the Messiah through and is of the Jews. And, 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 and she says, I want that, that, that water. So he explains to her about the living water. And, and obviously she accepts that. And the Holy Spirit wants you to know this. She, and it says she left her water pot. Don't miss that little nuance. She left her water pot and ran into the city. And it said she talked to the men. Come see the man that told me all things that I ever did. What, what, what that is in our language is she runs to the town and says, come see the man that even knows all that I've done, and yet he still loves me. Come see that man. Is he not the Christ, the Messiah? And the Bible said the men came, and they came to hear and to see them. And then later on they said, we believe him initially because of what you said, but now we have seen him for ourselves, and we believe his words that he is, in fact, the Christ and the Messiah, that that was prophesied. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? And so in these two people, this great, important, socially acceptable Pharisee and this despised woman, this woman had been rejected and she had had, had how many husbands? What's the number of grace? <laughs> Don't miss that neat stuff, man. Grace showed up. God said, baby girl, I'm going to be your husband from now on. I'll never leave you, and I promise you this, I'll never divorce you, and I'll never reject you. I will always be there, and I'll be the living water that flows out of you. And this woman became the first evangelist, really, even before Stephen, and she ran into the city. Because when you find out, man, you're loved and accepted by God, you can't keep that quiet, man. I'm asking you to tell people, if you believe what I'm preaching is the truth and the word of God, man, tell everybody. Post it. Blog it. Tweet it. Write it on a poster and put it in your yard. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> hey, man, if you don't know Christ, like them two people didn't, I hope you put your faith in him today. And just believe in him. That's all you got to do. When that Philippian jailer said, what must I do to be saved in Acts 16? Jesus never said, bow your head, close your eyes, repent of your sins. Your sin ain't got jack to do with it. Why? Because Jesus already took away the sin of the world. That includes yours. Don't talk to him about sin because it's not been paid for. What you need to talk to Jesus about is not your sin. He's already forgiven you. I hadn't asked him to. He didn't need your permission.
He did it without your permission. He took away the sin of the world. You in the world? Okay, you ever sin? That includes yours, okay? It's gone. God will not hold it against you, and he's not mad at you. There's consequences for sin. I encourage you not to participate in it. The wages of sin is death, but it's not God doing it. The wages of sticking your hand in a fan that's running is cut your fingers off. It's not God doing it, okay? Don't make bad decisions and don't get involved in stuff that's not good, okay? God loves you. There's consequences for sin, but God's not the author of your pain or your confusion or your hurt. He loves you. And, he's, and, he, and, he's, and he sent the grace of God that was personified in his son Jesus. For the grace of God has appeared unto all men. All men have not received it, but to many has received him. To them he gave the power to be the sons of God. God loves you. and He's reaching for you today. And when that Philippian jailer told Paul, what must I do to be saved? He just simply said this, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved. Just believe on him. That's all you got to do. No sinner's prayer, no bow your head, no confess your sins. All that's in the church, and I apologize to you for that. But it's not in the Bible. And I do wish the church would figure that out. And I wish somebody would have told me when I was 20, instead of me having to wait until I was 50 to understand it. But I'm glad I got it before I left here. That I am forgiven. I am now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And right now, all things have passed away and all things have become new. And I am one spirit now with the Lord. And I have been gifted with holiness and righteousness. And I didn't earn it or achieve it, but I was given to it by the Savior. Amen. So I'm going to dismiss you. God bless you. Go enjoy this beautiful day. Yeah. Andy, one of our elders, so this is not a rogue person coming up. Amen. Amen. Sister Grace, we're going to pray for your Sister Grace Hughes, the mother of this church. I love you. Sister Grace, how old are you again? Tell me. I hate I keep asking. 90 what? 93. Lord, let me be like Sister Grace when I'm 93. Amen. I always tell her that uh, when I see her, Grace is in the house. You know what I'm saying? And I, I love her. She is a minister. She, I love her so much. Uh, and I appreciate her. Her brother in Miami, Florida, just uh, some days ago, and she called me when that happened. And I hope you got my message, and I called you back. I figured you were probably gone to Miami. But her brother passed away, and, and that's what Andy come to tell us. If we could just pray for that family, pray for, for her and her family. Uh, uh, you know, and, and we're going to do that as we dismiss today, Sister Grace. So, Father... We, we thank you that you are the comforter and you surround us and comfort us in, in our time of bereavement and in our time of loss. And, and Father, I just pray for Sister Grace. I pray for all her siblings, all her family. Uh, I just pray in Jesus' name for the comforting power of the Holy Spirit to continue to sustain and keep them through this time and that they know that their strength and their comfort comes from you, the Prince of Peace. We love you. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to be standing down here. Man, if you want prayer for any reason, please come down. Let me pray with you, and my elders can come and help us pray if, if we need to. God bless you. We love you.